0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Lies, the official podcast of the imperialist West. Joining me as usual are my co hosts, David Fisher. Hello. And Adam Haynes. Hello. Yes, everyone. Massive news week, as you well know, and we all know what stories first. WrestleMania from last Sunday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, sadly, it's not WrestleMania, no. It's the death of Margaret Thatcher. Who? Adam. Please.
1: I'll
0: behave. A bit of decorum, thank you. I don't even know what that <laughs> <Yes. laughs> word Former Conservative Party leader and British Prime Minister, Baroness Margaret Thatcher, died this Monday following a stroke suffered at the Ritz Hotel, where she'd spent the final few months of her life. Uh, as many of you noticed, the reaction to this has been absolutely massive, incredible. Uh, eulogies and damnation pouring in. Um, there's been a state funeral announced, and even parties celebrating her demise, not looking at anyone here in particular. <laughs> <laughs> the general reaction to it has it been over the top from either side so no. from no. no no, so even from the side that have the eulogising side in my opinion it, you know whichever way you're going to go you're going to have people doing, well, it, doing it one well, way for, and doing it the for other for
1: me that merely on the people who are giving her eulogies that just shows a big problem in this country that we don't spend enough on mental health care You know how I'm going to come at this story all the way through, so just take it. (laughs) I
2: think it's fair to say neither side has been particularly balanced.
1: Or mature.
2: Like, one side just keeps going sort of one way to the one extreme, so the other side just goes completely the opposite way. Like, the eulogies have not, you know, mentioned how divisive she was in any way. Yeah. Whereas people celebrating in the street, is that appropriate? Yes. Really?
1: The people celebrating the street when Hitler got killed.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm of the same opinion.
2: So no. yeah, well, you can say she wasn't respected by these people in life. So, you know, in death,
1: I, does she I, have to be? Exactly. I used this argument to a conservative supporter who criticised me and just said, "Well, I'm, I'm not for turning." <laughs> Use their own little quote against them.
0: Well, no, I'm, I'm of the opinion that if some people want to celebrate it, great, you might find that offensive, but that's the point of a democracy at yeah. the end of the day. Well, uh, I think we, she we was for legis-
2: those kind of freedoms. Yeah, of course so. she was,
0: yeah. I think it's only fair. Um, the one question and the one thing that I think was um, important was, of course, celebrating it. Now, is there a difference between saying, okay, I didn't like her and she did these things in politics, but actually celebrating mean You've got to remember, in the end of the day, I kind of felt like I didn't like Margaret Thatcher's policies and so on, but I wasn't kind of in the mood to celebrate it as much in, yeah. in the sense of the word.
1: But I think you've got to take into account on that side of how many people she screwed over, her government policies affected how many areas of the country?
0: Well, yeah, we're all children from families that were affected yeah. by Thatcher. That's fair enough. But I wasn't born, and neither were you when she was prime minister, and no. neither was Fitch.
1: Can so. still despise everything she's done. Yeah, for, yeah, of like, course yeah. you can. Of
0: course you
2: can. Well, my parents' view on it was they weren't going to celebrate because she's an eighty-seven-year-old woman who can't do anything anymore. It's more you need to fight the ideas rather than her herself. What she going to do? She yeah, she You know, had dementia, etc. She's still a person. At the end of the day. Yeah, and I think debatable. I think that's what I, I
0: think that's what a lot of people came out of it as saying is that at the end of the day a person has died and to celebrate anyone's death is banned. But you know, my my counterpoint to that was that people celebrated when Hitler died, they celebrated when Chavez died, they celebrated when Bin Laden, you know, Bin Laden, Bin Laden, Laden. died, whatever. Yeah. There's again, they are people and whatever they've done it, is what they did, but the fact that a person has died. So that I can see where some people are coming from with that.
2: Yeah. I mean mm-hmm. feelings were obviously running incredibly high, so you can't I can understand where they're coming from, yeah.
1: obviously. Yeah. The thing is that, about all of this is that looking at it with my history student head on, you have to be able to show how both sides of the issue felt. So you had a lot of people that were celebrating. And people saying, no, you can't celebrate someone's death, that's wrong. But there's a very good article on The Guardian that says, well, if we don't show how many people actually hated her and how people felt towards her on both sides, then when people look back in history at what she was like as a prime minister, you don't actually get a true reflection of people's opinions, of how divisive she was. So I'm not saying it was like a patriotic duty of mine to celebrate that woman's death, but I think that... Yeah, the right can the right can celebrate her life and feel sad that she's dead. And I think anyone on any political persuasion who hated the woman should be allowed to celebrate it if they want to. They should be allowed to be happy that she's died because when people look back now in the future, they will see a very split nation on that woman.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the way it's got to be. I think in 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 any form of looking back and doing anything, and the fact that we're a democracy is that you've got to be able to have both sides of the coin. Yeah. Um, the MP that stood up in the eulogy ceremony, um,
1: Glenda, she, Glenda Jackson, Glenda. Jackson yeah. her speech um, was truly fantastic. Yes, it was
0: excellent. And she was, you know, people were trying to get her thrown out for saying unparliamentary things. And the Speaker went, I'm sorry, none of this is non- oh, unparliamentary.
1: Yeah, yeah he. No. one of the Conservative MPs raised a point of order. And essentially in British politics, people raise points of orders to say something pointless. It's, it, they are literally the most pointless things. It's about parliamentary etiquette. And he stood up and said, oh, this is a tribute, so you should be saying bad things, where actually it was a debate about having a tribute, which means that you could have both sides said. And for me, it just showed, uh, in a strange way, I'm about to say this, a disrespectful look at Margaret Thatcher to say you can't say anything bad about her.
0: Yeah, I think she thrived on the fact that she was a polarising figure. I think most of her policy was about preconceptions and changing the conceptions of what people thought of her and and her party she moved from the classic type of one nation conservatism into factorism, she forged her own political doctrine, she has to have been ready to be a polarising figure
2: yeah, Yeah. I mean she created sort of more free market stuff Exactly. what her death has done is sort of brought these debates back to the surface, like theological or ideological, not theological that would make no sense, but ideological (laughs) arguments basically of, about the know, new right versus, you yeah. know, socialism. Do we, we like have it. anything really opposing Thatcherism? Was is New Labour going to do that in any way? Well, New Labour is the, the
0: the the fact the thing as well. Interestingly, in the wake of all this, Tony Blair came out and criticised uh, the Mil- uh, Ed, Miliband. Ed Miliband, saying, "Don't become, don't now slide back into the old Labour roots of being a pure protest party," because he was going on a lot about how obviously Blair was. In a, in essence, a Thatcherite. Yeah. Uh, he was a new right, left politician, but it's kind of interesting, now, is It's bringing again, like you said, the debate about the new right, the left, socialism, one nation conservatism. You know, big society. All these things get dragged out because again, now we've been Margaret Thatcher's been out of the political scope for the last twenty odd years. Now with her death, it brings back all those things again. Yeah. One thing nothing I did, much yeah. has changed either. well yeah no that's the thing one thing I think is important about that debate is state funeral
1: yeah. massive issue just to, just to quickly add something Thatcher <clears throat> well Thatcherism as an idea created a new consensus politics in this country but after the war you actually had the yeah. consensus politics of welfare of a big state to look after everyone and reorganise it and then after Margaret Thatcher there was a new consensus politics of everyone moving to the centre ground moving to the right But the one thing I'd quickly like to add before you add your point, Fish, is quite a lot of the things that Thatcher is given credit for. If you actually trace it back to what this country was like after the war and you don't blame a set government, which Callaghan's government gets a lot of blame for it. The main reasons that we were actually in the trouble that we were is after the war, we were so reliant on American martial aid. Yeah. When they pulled it out and when it got reduced, that we, we fell away. All of our industry was destroyed during the war. All of our trading partners didn't have the money to buy off of us. We lost a lot of market scope. We couldn't actually trade off of the empire anymore because they were slowly leaving us. So a lot of the big things that Margaret Thatcher fixed weren't actually anyone's fault. They were just what happened after a war.
2: Yeah, and as you said about the consensus, it is interesting that With the past few years and their events, like the financial crash, her dying has brought, like, more debate to the surface again. It's like, is free market capitalism, which is sort of a consensus across the board in the West, for the most part, is that the right way to go? Like, a lot of the events the past few years have called it into question. Is there going to be a new, like, left-wing uprising or, like... You know, more
0: left-wing ide- ideologies sort of put forward. Yeah, I'd love there to be. I think we all would like a, uh, a departure away from the, you know, um, haves and have-not society that we have. I think everyone would appreciate that. Yeah. Um, like I said, the state funeral is something that I really did want to talk about. Well, it's it's going to cost technically a state funeral. Well, it as close just... to one, as close to a state funeral yeah. as you can get without calling it one. Cost of ten million pounds. And William Hay came out and went, oh, well, we've saved like £9 billion from the rebate she got from Europe so we can put some of that money into it. It's like you're missing the point completely. That was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, a, it was 20 million years ago, so you need to adjust that for inflation. But yeah. secondly as well, the point of her politics and her philosophy and her ideology is rolling back the state. No one should be having a state funeral regardless of what they did or what yeah. they do now do. So I'm completely against the idea that it should be a state funeral. It should be a private funeral, funded by the people that want to fund it, or her family. That's it.
1: Can I just, on this, right, her son, who I am going to come on the record and say is not a very nice man, because he is involved in arms trading and they try and overthrow a democratically elected government. It's not a
2: controversial opinion. But, <laughs> hey-ho,
1: he is walking out of this with £66 million in the bank. So why are we paying for this? Yeah, correct. We can't afford for disabled people to have a room that they get a stairlift into. We're going to be charging them money, yet we seem it appropriate to pay for a multi millionaire's funeral. Because for me, it just adds a further point. She spent the last couple of her months in the Ritz Hotel in
0: London every day. Yeah.
1: Her room has yeah. got to have been thousands of pounds a night. And I wonder what right wing institutions were picking up the bill for that because she definitely had a lot of friends in America.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. And uh, also,
2: like, would it not be appropriate if you're gonna have this kind of funeral, like well, wouldn't some kind of business come in and pick up the tab?
1: Just put it out to tender? That's
0: privata- privatisation in action. And that's exactly what I said. Sell off the rights and let whoever they want to do with it, do with it. Sponsored by Gazprom. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. I
1: will do it for twenty pound. I won't tell you where she's buried, but I'd do it for twenty pound. <laughs> I won't it won't be on T V. Well, yeah,
0: that's for sure. <laughs> but one thing that. I did want to talk about was as well is censorship. As we all know, today, when the day we're recording it, is the day the top 40 charts come out. Yep. Ding Dong the Witch is Dead from The Wizard of Oz. Very good song. Has been appropriated for the anti Thatcher movement.
1: Well, I downloaded it because I liked the song, Benjamin.
0: Well, <laughs> I'm sure you <laughs> did. I downloaded it purely on its aesthetic merits. But, <laughs> um, that's been appropriated by the song along with a lot of other songs, anti Thatcher. But the BBC have made the decision not to play the song in full, and it's only fifty odd seconds long on the chart show. Seconds. They're going to play seven or eight seconds of it, they said on the radio, followed with a news mini bulletin on why it's there. It's in my not- opinion, the BBC should be doing nothing. They should be playing the song, and moving on with the chart show. Yeah, it's that dem- is the chart show. It's democratically representative. If people want to buy
2: that song to protest her life or you know her ideas, then. The BBC cannot
0: stand in the way of that because if that isn't their role, then what is it exactly? Yes, correct. The point is that that this is an institution that's now being overruled by public or a majority interest. And that's the worst thing that can happen to something like the BBC is that it starts to pander. To a majority or a minority, either way, it panders to anyone and it's not impartial. And that is really, really dangerous. The really thing dangerous. is, is
1: the controller of Radio 1 said that they make creative editorial decisions every day on editing a song to take a swear word out or not playing a song if, before a set time if they deem it to be offensive. Yeah. Okay, I understand that. You have to do that. You can't have, you know, effing and blinding at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. But this song has no swear words in it. It was bought legitimately by thousands of people. With their own money. With their own money. they've. Ch- I Well, I've paid 79p for it a couple of times. Um, so, uh, it, for me, it should be played. I understand that it might be offensive to Mark Thatcher and Carol Thatcher, but without being horrible to them, if they don't like it, turn it off. You don't have to listen to the official chart show. Correct. And, to be honest, I doubt they even do. Yeah. So... To be, oh, this could be offensive to someone whose mother hasn't even been buried yet. Okay, yeah, I can understand that point. I understand. And I think they should be playing the full 52 seconds of it in a journalistic environment as yeah. well, explaining why. It's an absolute joke that anyone thinks they should be able to say, no, we're not going to play that. Because like I said to you, Ben, when um, we were talking about it, what happens if you were a fan of poverty? And you did, why would why, is Band-Aid allowed on? That offend me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You could take it to any ridiculous saying that say, I'm a negative, I'm against this, or I'm for this, why my views yeah. not being what about catered what so.
1: about the, the songs that have got in the charts for HIV charities? What happens if you're in your religious views, you see that people who have HIV is because they've committed sin? I'm I'm, I'm, I'm
0: fairly anti organised charity, you know that. As yes. in I don't like giving money to large central charities. I'd rather do it in another way. So for me I could now just be an absolute reprobate <laughs> reprehensible person and say Band-Aid, band-aid offends me because it is a large centralised charity yeah. so thus it can't be played on the radio and i should have the right to have my views pandered to in yeah. the same way that this is and yeah. that's the that's the sla- slippery slope that we're working on there. and again this is not what margaret thatcher would have wanted
2: yep. like two of her closest allies have said play the song mm-hmm. she was all for this kind of freedom Yep. yeah so why why would you censor it
1: The one thing I'm still waiting back on the BBC to get back to me on is how many people do the song have to offend for it not to be played? Yeah. And they still haven't emailed me back about that. Get it sorted, BBC! For the ultimate in impartiality,
2: this is incredibly partial. Yeah, yeah, it is. And that's
0: a worry. That's a worry. So we spent quite a bit talking about the current situation with Margaret Thatcher, but we thought it would be good to actually get some perspective on what she did as a politician. So Adam's got a few facts that he wanted to prepare, or that he has prepared for us, in Rafa Benitez style. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hello, Mr. Ferguson. Sorry, no, <laughs> get a thing. Right. Okay.
2: <laughs>
1: so these are just a few. Uh little facts for you to go through so the uk at the time was a smaller country uh, we had 56.2 million people in the uk compared to 62.3 people in the 2010 census um and that's been pretty stagnant since 1970 and actually been going down for four years before 1979 as the economy faltered. usual thing the economy's not doing well people don't have babies um during the first years of thatcher's reign fewer people actually came to live in the uk Acceptances for settling uh, went down from sixty nine thousand six hundred seventy in nineteen seventy nine to fifty three thousand two hundred by the time that she'd resigned in nineteen ninety. Um, since then, you know, we've had the lovely little boom uh, in the economy, and with the EU, a lot of Eastern European countries have joined. But in fact, for more, for much of the decade, the, there was more people actually leaving the UK than coming here, and now it's in the reverse. Obviously, with net migration now at a, a record high. And we all know Margaret Thatcher's love for the institution of marriage. And I think you all know my opinion of it. We all have various different opinions. Um, but fewer people are actually getting married now. Um, last year, there was only 231,490. And that's down from 368,853 in 1979. So, her trying to create a organic society where everyone gets married because it's the right way to raise children. That idea isn't actually working out as a old Maggie. You'd loosely think, turn uh,
0: these as her legacy, then maybe. Yeah,
1: um, people are also having less babies in the traditional family unit. Scare quotes there. Yeah, right? traditional <laughs> family. Yeah. In 1979, only 12.5 percent of babies were born outside of marriage. Uh, by 1991, that had gone up to 29.8 percent. Go into hell! Yeah.
2: <laughs> Damn liberals.
1: <laughs> um, there's also the thing, you know that maggie came out with there's no such thing as society and unemployment shot up under conservatives to levels that weren't seen since the great depression and the figures that there for her era um really just show how it lags behind the economy and even after the recession ended, yeah there's, no, there's normally
0: a lag between unemployment um and when the actual policy came in 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 economics it's called fiscal lag normally yeah. in terms of fiscal policy is there's an 18 month lag so anything that we see today has have had the effect 18 months ago of when the actual issue was ar- arisen yeah.
1: so um poverty went up under Thatcher uh, according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies in 1979 13 13- uh, 0.4% of the population lived below 60% median incomes before housing costs, and by 1990 it had gone up to 22.2%, and that's 12.2 million people with huge rises <coughs> in the mid 1980s. And this yeah. is a developed country, yeah, yeah. Oh, we've got people living in poverty. I'm not saying it in that in like a a Western slur, yeah, no, relative or, poverty, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And and going up in a in a Premiership is enough to say that you're doing something wrong yeah, yeah. or Pretty, and,
1: yeah. pretty scary. To be honest. <laughs> and with with all of you know poverty, right? And obviously inequality comes. Um, the the way this is actually measured is an, a thing called a Gini coefficient. Yes. Um, which is the most common method of measuring yeah. it. Um, under the Gini score of one would be completely unequal society. Zero would be completely equal. Britain's Gini score from the day she took office went up from zero point two five three to zero point three three nine. Um, by the time that Fletcher is So we got
0: closer and closer. We got n- nearly two thirds of the way again to being more unequal.
1: Yes. As a society, coefficiently. <clears throat> On a personal note, there's also the fact that her government and the police involved in it covered up the deaths and v- allowed the villainisation of 96 people who were killed. Um, you also had the fact that during her time in government, the police were labelled as a racist organisation. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, the minor striker or Orgreave as well, they covered up mass police brutality and it was the same uh,
1: police force that covered up at uh, Hillsborough as well. It's, um, it's just, it just screams to you. There's also the fact that um, Margaret Thatcher, the lover of freedom and genuine defender of democracy and the Iron Lady who helped all the Eastern states of uh, the USSR become free and lovely. While, also, whilst propping up. Also, uh, propped up Pinochet. Uh, actually, got rid of news stories that said about how many people they were killing. For some strange reason, supported the Khmer Rouge. Yeah. Who were communists? Sank the Belgrano. Yes. And I would like to add this, right? There's one major thing and everyone goes, oh, but she did defend the Falklands. Yes, Margaret Thatcher got a task force together with the army and the navy and defended the Falklands. But if you forget about before that, the defence cuts that actually got rid of the aircraft carriers and got rid of ships, we gave presents away to the bloody French as a, we can't afford to run this, you have it. Yeah, pay the it us back. <laughs> I know, pay us it back when you can. And also, she defended British territorial integrity. I'm sorry, but if you are a British Prime Minister, that is your your, job.
2: Literally your job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, okay, yeah, she did win the Falklands. But do you remember the jingoistic tendencies that she had straight after that, that she then called an election to win? So when someone says to me she won three elections, she won one election because the opposition was incompetent. She won one... (laughs) Election because she played on the fact she won a war, and the first election she won because, well, Labour were god awful. Yeah,
2: and the left's vote was split massively as well. Uh, On the jingoistic note, in 1999, to the Conservative Party conference, she said that pretty much all sort of Western development had come from English speaking countries, (laughs) which is slightly worrying to say. Slightly worrying (laughs) when you
0: look at the Enlightenment, you know, Italian culture, Spanish culture, French Revolution. French Revolution prior to say, you know, eight, before 1800s, Margaret, if we look back there and look at all these things that actually were going on. Yeah, <laughs> what she
2: meant was her and
0: Reagan. Football <laughs> was created in the 1990s. That's that kind of approach, isn't it? Yeah. The premiership created football. Yeah,
1: yes, but the one thing that you're forgetting here, and I'm, I can't believe I'm about to support Margaret Fatcher on a point, is that all the Greeks, when they made up democracy, spoke English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously, guys. The Romans spoke English. English. Jesus spoke English. Egyptians
2: spoke, spoke English. Chinese invented like half of our things today. Spoke, spoke English.
0: English. And the Chinese are partial to fish and chips.
1: That is amazing <laughs> There's also actually just a small note to put in. I'd like to take you back to a country called South Africa and a thing called apartheid. Yeah. And, and uh, a grubby little terrorist. Known as? Nelson Mandela. Oh, so, That is bad. Oh, wait a minute. A free a man who opposed an ideology with split whites and blacks. Oh grubby.
0: Grubby it, terrorist doesn't normally come into that lexicon, really, does it? When you think He's also not people. little.
2: He's above six foot. Yeah. Yeah. We were in such a good position. We we're probably in the best position to put them under pressure as well. And it never happened. We have too many we had too many
0: interests and we still have too many interests.
1: Isn't that weird how democratically elected governments support governments that aren't democratically elected
0: because
1: it puts money in the bank and we kind of isn't it weird how money just i've genuinely forgot the point because money makes the world go round why are you waving 20 pounds at me
2: (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm gonna talk a little bit about well the new statesman had a front cover that said Margaret Thatcher was a freedom fighter. Adam is wincing visibly. Well, in a sense, they are right. What, because
1: she fought freedom for blacks in South Africa? (laughs) Yeah,
2: well, it's an idea of freedom, basically. Uh, I'd like to talk about, basically, what the word freedom means these days. and To talk about that, we've got to go to Isaiah Berlin's two ideas of freedom. There is positive freedom... which is freedom basically from society. Like the welfare state would be the biggest example, basically. The freedom not to starve when you're unemployed, etc. Freedom from racism, sexism, etc. And there is negative freedom, which is freedom to do things like free speech, you know, democratically allowed to vote, etc. And in recent years, especially after Thatcherism, Reaganism, etc., positive freedom is sort of elided, really. It's not thought of as a thing really uh negative freedom has taken all the connotative uh meaning of freedom so negative freedom is seen as like the free market our right to uh buy whatever we want our right to succeed stand on our own two feet etc yeah but positive freedom does have a role to play Definitely. And positive freedom is not looked upon anymore, really, as something you think of when you think about freedom, because it's a very American idea, like from the Constitution, that you've got certain inalienable rights to do things. Yeah. Whereas things like the welfare state, the NHS, like freedom from racism, can anyone argue against that in any way?
1: yeah i want to be free to be racist <laughs> yeah.
0: and that's the thing that's the the um, the classical middle ground or the, the the issue with berlin is i mean i've studied berlin and things like that is that um freedom from versus freedom to if you just packaged up enough freedom to's together you would create a freedom from so yeah. freedom from racism encompasses all the rights of freedom to um not be offended to not be segregated based on skin color or things like that so yeah and the, the discussion there is of course is which way you see freedom. So if you see freedom in the way of the ultra-free market of you're free to do whatever you want. There's no safety net. Free to yeah. fail. You're free to fail. That's the and, and that's that's one way. And that's possibly the way that I'd say that Margaret. That, the American
1: but, dream man. Uh... The
0: American dream. Yeah. That people who subscribe to that believe that human endeavor is the thing that creates whatever, you know, wealth or happiness or a good life. And so being free to do that and pursue it at all costs against anyone else is your right people like myself don't believe in freedom that way because i think that in the system that we're in i.e a capitalist system with inherent inequalities we have to create a safety net i think it's impossible to run a society on um that kind of very narrow perception of freedom of you're free to do whatever you want as long as you don't infringe on other people which Pure is negative very close freedom. to the harm yeah. principle which i know adam was maybe a fan of and maybe less of a fan of now I'm no not I, sure. the,
1: my thing with the harm principle is if you're going to be explaining freedoms to someone on a very basic level it's good to start there and then you build up on the arguments <laughs> berlin's arguments are very good to yeah. be using from uh, mill's harm principle the big issue i have with freedom from and freedom to is like you say if you box up enough you can make a, a freedom from and a freedom to the issue is is that people who are so inherently supportive of one that they will not un- they don't understand the other side of it i i am free to be rich like, by my own successes yeah and then get when you go to them but what happens if you fail what should what 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 do you think should happen to you Oh, uh, well, they're kind of
0: arguing from a position of privilege already, yeah. So they can't mm. see that other side of it, and that's always going to be the issue. And in relation to Thatcher, freedom fighter, I don't know, she's a freedom fighter
2: for negative freedom, basically, yeah, for yeah. like ships for you know, standing on your own two and feet. And that's basically. why she was
0: such a fan of Reagan, and yeah. that's why they got on so well because yeah. Reaganism is Thatcherism, is the free market, yeah. corporatism. But in yeah. Co-
2: in current politics, positive freedom isn't really seen when you talk about freedoms in like mainstream politics. Like left wing ideas of the welfare state, of the NHS, they are being sort of eroded away. And when people do talk about freedom, they're sort of leaving out an entire side of it, I feel.
0: Well, yeah. And the, 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 what that also comes down to is equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome because the positive freedom is often associated with freedom, uh, equality of outcome, which I don't think is fair, really. But what most people see negative freedoms are is equality of opportunity, as in everyone has the same opportunity to do well. Some people might not do it, and stuff them, really, if they don't. Up to them. The other way is saying equality of outcome is, which I don't agree with, this is the the distinction here, is that I agree with a lot of negative freedoms, but I also think
1: there should be a positive one. So I I don't know if there's a tenable middle ground. Um, The big thing with how these freedoms are reported... Especially in the media. They are mentioned in the media. But it's done in such an immature and just ridiculous way. For freedom twos, you're free to go and make money, to go to work, to raise a family, to live in a safe place. And that's you, actually, an individual. You go and do it. For freedom from... Oh, it's the nanny state. You can't look after yourself. Yeah, you're really. a drain on society, and that's how it's reported, and it's yeah. just ridiculous. But we, sometimes we look at poor people, and I don't mean it in like a a, a white middle class. Look at the poor people on the street. Ha <laughs> ha I mean, it's, we genuinely look at poor people, and instead of going, "Why don't we help you?" and then you will be able to look after yourself, we, you we, might get we on have life. some
0: sort of derisive, despite and um, yeah, yeah, we we have a kind of. Well, it's your his own, own fault. fault that he's poor. Yeah. And, and the, the whole big question, all this is wrapped up in as well, is the new right, is Thatcherism, is Reaganism, is deserving and undeserving poor. And we talked about it last week. And the whole, and we all disagree with it, the whole concept ideologically builds that in. Well, she uh, believes yeah. in
1: an organic society. Exactly. Of where there are people who are below you and there are people who are better than you and you should know your place in society. Essentially, she likes the caste system.
2: Well, it's a very entrenched class system, yeah. isn't it? And that the people belong in the class that they belong to. Yeah. If, you, if you're if you not succeeding, you're not working hard enough, yeah. which is a fallacy, really, because in capitalism, some people are going to succeed it and some people... Be. It has to be. like If you go to a job interview, how many people have you beaten out for that job? Just in the interview and in the application
0: stage as well. well correct. The point of capitalism is that for anyone to make profit, there must be someone who's not getting paid as much yeah. as that product is worth or whatever. So yeah, it's the way you see the world and I think calling her a freedom fighter I agree it, it, I don't because my, no, I my version I agree she of, fought freedoms. My oh yeah. My version of what freedom fighter means is someone who fights for basic human freedoms. Yeah. Mandela or, you know, the Dalai Lama in Tibet. You know or to, people who are fighting for the normal, inalienable human rights that a slightly
1: bastardise the line. You could also say that one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Well, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that's very true in the case of Mandela.
0: (laughs) Right, back to North Korea. Yay. 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 What a place. (laughs) What are you doing with that (laughs) nuclear power? Of course, North Korea, best Korea, uh, returning. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry says China is very serious about their pledge to help resolve tensions over North Korea's nuclear program. The U.S. and China earlier said they were committed to the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Mr. Kerry said the two sides would hold further meetings to bear down very quickly, in quotes, on how to achieve the goal. North Korea has recently, as you know, threatened attacks against South Korea and the US amid a flurry of inflammatory statements. Speculation has also built that the North was preparing a missile launch following reports that it had moved at least two Musudan ballistic missiles to its east coast. Mr Kerry um, said that any launch would be a huge mistake and would probably signal World War III. After a day of meetings in Beijing with President um, Xi Jinping and the top Chinese officials on Saturday, he said both governments called on North Korea to refrain from any provocative steps, and that obviously refers to any future missile shooting.
1: But with North Korea saying, no, don't do that, it's just reverse psychology, because then they just go, do that, I have to do that. (laughs) And the top bit of going, oh, we're going to meet to talk about this issue they're literally having a meeting about having a meeting to have a meeting yeah (laughs) like do you want to write the agenda for the agenda that we're going to write about having an agenda
0: we need someone to take minutes Uh, i like the
2: fact john kerry just said i think it would be a bit of a mistake to fire a nuclear missile (laughs) it's like
0: well done (laughs) yeah um has he ever yeah um nuclear strikes are always good yeah there's never been a bad one
1: they're not gonna do it. No, they're not. They're and not to at be all. fair,
0: it'll it'll go it'll float this will float away as quickly as it came. They're basically
2: yeah. like a naughty child. The more you tell them not to do it, the more it's like, I want to find a missile
1: <laughs> though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> On the naughty step, Kim Jong un On the, the naughty step. <laughs> the thing that
1: came out recently is all these images that have been showed around the news of how many rockets and hovercraft they've got, they're all photoshopped.
0: Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: All of their pictures have been photoshopped to add rockets and to add people in.
0: There's um there's like a guy did a breakdown, and what he did was he took one missile lot being launched, which was thing, and then he used used Photoshop to show how they just copied that four times to look like they had a fleet of missile launches going off. But he said if you actually look at all the rockets, they're all being fired at exactly the same angle and have the exact same smoke trails, and there's no shadows, <laughs> just stuff like that. I'm Basic pre- Photoshop mistakes. I'm
1: pretty sure. They've got Grant Shapps in to do this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they've just got <laughs> they've got Microsoft Paint and they're individually painting the pixels out. Their oh. PR section is absolutely
2: incredible. Yeah, some of the things they come out with, like Kim Jong Un with the best golf round in history. Yes, yeah.
0: Etc. true. We did the eagle every hole. That or was something. Kim Jong yeah. Il. Kim Jong Il. Kim yeah. Jong of course, also had a voice that would command earthquakes, and yeah. he rode a horse down a river, and he was born
1: like out of a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, <laughs> seriously, I. Before we started recording this show, I was telling them, um, Fish and Ben, about a news agency that I found about North Korean news. (laughs) (laughs) It is all bull. (laughs) There is not an ounce of truth in it. If you put that entire, entire website and you made it a tangible thing and you put it on a set of scale, it wouldn't even come with one gram of truth. It was awful. So I propose that we set up the North Korean... Institute for the Appreciation of British Skills, because that's one of the things that was on there.
0: These things just don't exist. The the I think the one that we saw was the um, apparently North Korea had found or had a report from a British um, committee that was something like the Great British Committee for the Appreciation of the Kim Family Legacy. Oh. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> <laughs> like we've gone into a bit like a meeting room in London going how can we better appreciate the Kim family and their legacy in North Korea <laughs> build a statue <laughs> build a memorial water slide yeah that's that is it. the
1: only thing they've done good in that country yeah. they've built possibly the best water slide.
2: Do you reckon that's a, like, a secret nuclear launch thing? Yeah, it goes round.
1: and then right at the end there's a such little Such like bit.
2: a torrent of water it just like slides Wait right off the end. Are we
1: saying that North Korea is like Tracy Island? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly yes. what yeah. it
2: is. <laughs> King John O'Hilland does have that sort of appearance about him doesn't he? <laughs> Puppet movement. Uh, yeah. He's got better eyebrows though. We do laugh, but it's a starless hellhole and it's really quite depressing when you think about it.
1: And the price of beer is terrible.
0: Arrows. (coughs) (coughs) Anthrax. Can't
2: can't even muster a boing out of that one. Uh, The boinginess has really been taken out of this country at this point. Uh, This week, The Time reported that there is evidence of chemical weapons... Uh, discovered in a soil sample smuggled out of Syria. Uh, They could not tell whether the Syrian president Bashar Assad, uh, his forces had used it, or the rebels. Uh, A team of United Nations-led experts is on standby in Cyprus, waiting for permission to investigate allegations of chemical weapons use in Syria. The deployment is at an impasse due to diplomatic problems. UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon said that the mission can only be successful if it considers allegations from all sides. This comes in the same week that Foreign Secretary William Hague said a crisis in Syria will be at the top of the agenda when G8 foreign ministers meet in London this week. He is warned that the si- the situation in Syria continues to get worse. Top insight by Mr Hague there. <laughs> he said that the, uh, it is a, at the top of his personal agenda And uh, he needs to end the culture of impunity over sexual violence and abuse during the war. So, G8, what a great organisation. They're going to talk about doing something.
1: Only about about two
2: years after it started.
1: William Hague has a lot of agendas, so I personally don't think he can have anything at the top of an agenda, because... But the amount of agendas he clearly has. And the culture of impunity over sexual violence and abuse during war, they're only now supporting that because Angelina Jolie turned up to talk about it.
2: Yeah. and she... It's incredible that they're now just meeting up, basically, to say, should we just talk about this, maybe? Not do anything. <laughs> literally just go, should we have a bit of a discussion? Do we think Syria good, bad, indifferent, maybe?
0: I
1: don't know. Should we have a meeting about having a meeting on this meeting?
0: Sounds all too familiar.
1: When are we gonna? When are we
0: gonna step in? <laughs> Chemical <laughs>
2: weapons, fish,
1: never. fish. The reason why we can't step in is because we sold them their anti-aircraft missiles, so we know they could shoot them down. And also, it's just really far away, and it takes time to get
0: there. And we've got no capitalist interest in Syria.
1: Mm. We also have abs- We have zero, zero moral argument for this
0: it's just
2: unbelievable how slow sometimes the un is such a frustrating body how they cannot certainly send I, people in
0: i don't support it because it doesn't do anything
1: i like the idea See, of it it just went it doesn't rock. do anything
2: it needs reforming to such an extent where it'd be unrecognizable
0: what is well, the basically point? what is the point of having a group of nations that are expressly designed to stop dictatorships, to stop genocide. Not to stop to dictatorships. Allow it to go on.
1: It's stop. It's to stop genocide. There's actually a rule in uh, the UN conventions. If anyone calls anything a genocide, every country in the, war, in the world must declare war on that country to yeah. stop the genocide.
2: What did chemical weapons represent exactly? Just a friendly exchange of views. <laughs> a frank exchange Here, of views. Yeah, have some
1: mustard gas. <laughs> Jesus, World War One exactly. weaponry, mate. It's... Do you know what, right? Syria, you're clearly not being bloody enough for us to care. So, you need to have a few more children get murdered for no reason.
2: Uh, There are enough of those being murdered, to be fair.
1: Are they pretty? Is there any reason for them to go on the TV? Would the Daily Mail care? Are they young and blonde? Exactly. If they're not white, no one cares. Knighthood News
0: Now. Former HBOS chief, chief executive Sir James Crosby has asked for his knighthood to be removed and has resigned as a non executive director of Compass Group. He will also forgo 30% of his £580,000 a year HBOS Jesus. pension following last week's critical report into the bank's collapse during the financial crisis. Sir James served as a chief executive at HBOS between 2001 and 2006. The Banking Standards Commission report called him the architect of the strategy that led to HBOS's downfall. His request will now be considered by a Whitehall Honours Committee, and probably honoured, I guess. On Tuesday evening, it was also announced that he was stepping down immediately from Compass, the world's biggest catering company. He was also the Deputy Chairman of the City Regulator, the Financial Services Authority, from 2007 to 2009. Are you serious? Yes. Which was in the height of the financial crisis. His oh current god. annual pension payments amount to about five hundred and eighty thousand pound a year, meaning he will waive around one hundred and seventy four thousand pounds a year. Poor him! Oh my
1: god!
0: This man, this man was the deputy chairman of the City Regulator, the Financial Services Authority, in two thousand and seven till two thousand and nine.
2: But Ben, the banks can regulate themselves. <laughs> oh my god! You know about yeah? They age. can regulate themselves.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was the, he was doing it. He was the know. architect.
2: It said in that report, H. was so bad that even if there wasn't a financial crisis, that bank would have gone under.
0: Yeah. How? What were they doing? Obviously, oh, oh, throwing they're... throwing money at a wall and seeing yeah. what stuck.
1: That's obviously where Howard went, isn't it? Yeah.
0: They were putting money into a blender and then drinking it.
2: <sighs> that what were they speculating on? Speculation, <laughs>
0: like the mining industry in Britain. Yeah. <laughs> Britain's uh, Britain's heavy industry sector.
1: I didn't good. read that bottom paragraph, and now I genuinely feel ill.
2: It's incredible that he got another job, especially at such a big company, Compass group. another one uh, there were like three people on the board, another one became one of the top people at Coral, the bookmakers, yeah, which is incredibly appropriate, yeah, yeah, yeah
0: he's got a great, great experience at betting on things, yeah, could he knows... go
1: absolutely terrible for me, all that shows is that compass are lost that way. oh
2: I'll leave. He had to bring it down. <laughs> He also has a pension of five hundred and eighty grand a year, and fair play to him, he is waiving a hundred and seventy-four thousand wow. a year. But he's still earning a hundred and th- uh,
0: hang on, four hundred and thirteen thousand pound a year in pensions. What a hero! That's uh, that- pension as well. So that's not on top of probably the lump sum he'll get. Yes, and the money he's been earning anyway to earn. A five hundred and eighty thousand yeah. pound pension. He's a not, private pension
2: as well. He's not giving any money back that he gained by running a bank so badly that a financial <laughs> crisis didn't even screw it.
1: <laughs> We're all in this together. We it's
2: are. It's such a token keep saying act. it and it'll come true. Like, what does a knighthood even mean anyway? It's literally just the Queen's tapping he, on the shoulder. Why was he given a knighthood? <laughs> to be fair, the people who have had knighthoods: Robert Mugabe, Fred Goodwin, uh, Ceausescu.
1: Yep. I like how you put Fred Goodwin in with those in that puddle of. I'm not allowed to say the next word. Bad people. <laughs>
0: Human filth. Yeah, we go with that. Let's, let's say that. But
1: he was the Financial Services Authority
0: Deputy Deputy.
2: It's basically, he's like so much experience of people getting into this mess that he's the best person to get out of it.
1: The advice
2: he could
0: give would be, like, pinpoint... It just smacks of old boy, doesn't it? Do you not think that someone who runs a bank so badly then becomes the FSA regulator's deputy chairman? Because he probably knew a person. Yeah. It does, doesn't it?
2: It is such just a network inside the city. And
0: I know this is naive, but why do we employ people from the banking sector as the regulator? They should be exterior to the... You know, they should know what the banking sector does, but they shouldn't have been someone who was at the top of a bank. Yeah, but Ben, that's... Completely messing it up. Yes, I know. I'm
1: going to disagree with you slightly here, because we all know that the best people to enforce the law are criminals. Because they know what... Oh, wait a minute, I see your point here. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, that was a really bad idea.
2: I know. What we can take away from this, basically, is... I've no idea why the financial crash happened to (laughs) Jessica. Remains a mystery.
0: So, as per usual, it's the newest feature in This Week in Lies. True Lies. No one's going to do an Arnie impression. But you're the best at it, to be fair, Vince. Those were my cookies! <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Why have we not done anything from his recent films?
0: They've all been bad. <laughs> Next week, I'll do a Mr. Freeze line from. oh sexy
1: mate, let me have an yeah. l- illegitimate child with you. <laughs> That is a blast from the past, I remember
0: that. So, okay, these, um, obviously, stories this week. Um, one of them is going to be true, and two are going to be false. Uh, at the moment, I have two points. David has zero points, and Adam has zero points. I've never points. actually
1: been in... I don't recognise this game.
0: You you lost the
1: first game, don't worry about it.
2: So, I was screwed out of a point as well.
1: You are screwed out of a job.
2: I'm bringing that up every
0: week. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. Right, okay, so the first story. Story one. Sexy robots question mark. Bam chicken, wham, wham. Oh yeah. In a survey conducted with presumably entirely straight faces by the Huffington Post and YouGov, real human beings offered the more their more profound thoughts on the robotic future. You might believe that people still need convincing to let robots into their homes, however, a very significant thirty-three percent of them said they wouldn't mind having a robot servant. 22 people, 22% people, twenty-two of people said that if they had an ageing friend or relative, of course it would be fine if a robot looked after them. What other uses could people foresee for their mechanical brethren? Driving cars? Most certainly. 46% of people. Fighting wars? Oh, bring them on. What was um, useful was that 10%, so 1 in 10 people, actually said that they would have sex with a robot. Uh, it's like blade runner. <laughs> <laughs> So that, of course, is story one. Uh, do you believe that one in ten people would have sex with a robot? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Story number two. 14-year-old congressional whiz kid balances America's budget. Um, This comes out of Washington. An age when most boys are going to Little League practice and playing video games with their friends, congressional whiz kid Paul Ryan, 14, has issued a comprehensive proposal to balance the federal budget. Um, congressman Earl Blow-Manawa from who's a Democrat from Oregon, said, When I was 14 years old, all I was thinking about was having enough allowance money to buy comic books. But Paul is actually trying to rein in annual spending and eliminate the deficit. Uh, the Congressman said of the perky high school age wonder boy, whose budget reform plan seeks to reduce government spending by 4.6 trillion by 2023 through a long term fiscal policy that includes deep cuts to food stamps and other social entitlement programs. He comes in every day in a little two-piece suit with a business-style haircut, and you just have to admire the kid. Heck, he's still three years away from applying for college, for God's sake. I imagine he's too, not too popular with other kids his age, but I'm sure that he's used to that by now. Despite their enthusiasm for the Teen Whiz kids' pluck and hard work, congressional sources were, quote, quick to note that Ryan's budget plan made absolutely no sense. <laughs> so they were quite happy to uh, give him a little bit of... Um, I think it was made out of, of crayon. <laughs> and the last one uh story three go on fifth what were you going to say
2: i'm just going to say this french and scarlett johansson so i may have to have a moment to <laughs> myself
0: <laughs> so the third story scarlett johansson rejects heartwarming prom invite from high school student now obviously this is in the vein of um i don't know if you've seen the other people who've kind of made right. a video to try and entice uh, kate upton, was kate the upton and things like that uh, this comes out of los angeles so shortly after a local high school senior, Jeremy Feldman's YouTube video asking actress Scarlett Johansson to his prom went viral on Tuesday, the Lost in Translation star declined the student's invitation in no uncertain terms, sources confirmed. The answer is no, said Johansson, who went on to cite a litany of reasons for refusing the invitation that included schedule conflicts, Um, The fact that the evening would be uncomfortable for her on many levels and a mounting distaste for the student's willingness to create an internet spectacle that would only pressure her into doing something that she didn't want to do. She said, if I ignore the invitation, I come off as cold. But if I say yes, I'm clearly only doing it to enhance my own image, which is completely disingenuous. What they're doing or what you're doing essentially amounts to emotional blackmail. So obviously he was promptly crushed. Uh, And that's the third story. So. Any questions on the, the three I, stories? I would like
1: to let Fish go through all his thinking and then say which one he wants to pick, and then I'll go through my thinking. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, se- sexy so robots. It's one in ten. One in ten people, yes.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, a lot of
2: people do have sex dolls and the <laughs> like. <laughs> so, you can, that's a logical step, isn't one it? One really? in ten people. I would like to also ask. Thirty-three percent said they wouldn't mind having a robot servant. What yeah. were the other sixty-seven percent of people thinking of? Have you seen iRobot? Who would seriously though? Who would not want a robot servant? I don't know. I I was quite. I w- I would be surprised as well. I mean, thirty-three percent. What these people's imaginations have failed. Yeah, I
1: mean, either the people who were probably playing Sims Free when the, <laughs> the attachment came on to get the servant robot. It's not cool anymore. Okay, so this was done by. YouGov. Um
2: Yeah, it was the Huffington Post and UGov. All oh, right, Huffington Post. Sort of a liberal thing. Maybe people who sort of sit in their basement <laughs> <laughs> dreaming of a
0: better world. Um, story two. So, um congressional 14-year-old. whiz kid who's trying to balance
2: the budget. Uh, it sounds feasible, I suppose. Uh, cutting it by 4.6 trillion. This kid just sounds like a bad person. He sounds like a maniac, yeah. And that's yeah. why, of
0: course, the congressional sources said it made absolutely no yeah. sense.
2: Is it too late to just sort of ground him, basically, yeah, for you this really idea? bring him in. Um, and so a Democrat was all for this, basically?
0: Um, well, the Democrat... That sounds unlikely. Con- the Congressman oh. said that he actually appreciated the, that he comes in every day, he wears a suit, he's got a all good right. haircut, he's got he's trying to do something, but they were basically just saying, whilst it's really great, he's trying. Um... In terms of the actual policies, they make no sense.
2: Yeah, well, fair enough. Although you probably would expect half of them, the Republicans at least to agree with it. Yeah, like, maybe slash yeah. welfare spending. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's, that's all sign, I needed to hear. Sign him up,
0: and obviously, Scott Johansson.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there have been a sort of litany of yep. invitations. That sounds incredibly harsh. I know. It's a good way to. She is so, fairly uh,
0: outspoken, though.
2: She is, in a way, and she does have a sort of alternate image that she needs to keep up. And Well, she is right, if that is indeed what she said, but I don't think... Well, this uh, didn't come directly from her,
0: this came from her PR people.
2: I don't think a PR statement would be that coldly written, basically, or just so stern. I mean, what they say is correct, but... At the same time, I don't think a Hollywood PR is like—it's <laughs> just fluff.
0: Really. Okay, so which story are you going to go for? You're going to go for sexy robots, congressional whiz kids, or um, the heartwarming rejection from Scarlett Johansson?
2: Um, I think story number one: sexy robots. Right. Okay. <laughs>
1: All right, I'll go through my thing. Adam's going to produce
0: his workings. He's been away in the... In right, the, in number
1: the... two, reason why number two story is not actually true is because Paul Ryan isn't actually a 14-year-old. He's the Republican vice president, um, hopeful from the last election. I they knew his thing was They also wouldn't he... use kid." They'd use Patriot. Um, it could be that they ben just run. have... They also the wouldn't names. say, for God's yeah, sake, because that's... Punishable by death in America, I believe. <laughs> um, and to be honest, I don't think anyone is that big of a douche. So if that kid is real, he's a massive douche. <laughs> well, he is real. So it's America. I it guess.
0: could, well, it could well be that they just have the same names. But
1: okay. um, Earl Bulmanauer isn't Jewish enough to be the Democratic <laughs> things for Oregon, because I know for a fact from watching the Daily Show that that guy is actually Jewish. He was there, so I'm not. I don't think that's him. Okay. Um from Scarlett Johansson reject the heartwarming prom invite for a high school student. That could be true cuz she's a bitch. Take that back. <laughs> she is. Though. Let's be serious. <laughs> Just cuz she looks nice, David. Do you agree with Obama? Is she the best-looking Attorney General. You're a sexist pig. <laughs> and the reason why I'm also going to pick number one is because there's a hyperlink underlining on cars in the top story, which makes me believe that you've copied it from the actual. Article.
0: It was. It was a thingy, an advert from one of the websites. Yeah. But yeah, you're both right. <laughs> sex robots is the, is the right one. Apparently, one in ten people are willing or would be willing to have sex with a robot. Yeah. Well, I don't just... know why I'd. Ra- I think I'd rather that story wasn't true, but. I don't know. It's a logical extension of people having sex dolls and stuff. So literally, you know, it's just people are lonely, Ben.
1: As humans, we are these perverts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Fish gets a point, and then they share the points today. So it's two points for me, one point for fish, and one point for Adam. Morally, two points for fish. Shut up. You've got one. <laughs> And that's the end of the show. So what have we learnt this week? Well, I've learnt that the BBC isn't probably as impartial as it should be. Adam?
1: I've learnt that my reaction to Margaret Thatcher's death was exactly how you all expected it to be.
2: I've learnt that bringing up Isaiah Berlin will take my co host completely off
0: guard. <laughs> <laughs> um, emails, Twitter, Facebook, everything
1: like that. Twitter, obviously, is... At This Week in Lies.
0: And you can follow all of us at David Fisher, A, at Ben Farnworth, and at AWH91. Indeed. And emails is thisweekinlies at outlook.com. Um, Bloody Outlook. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know why they changed it, but they did. Um, and that's the end of the show, so thanks very much for listening. It's goodbye from me, Ben. Goodbye. See you later. This Week in Lies was sponsored by
1: the Financial Services Authority. Can somebody type
2: regulation into Google, please?